My name is Bruce Garrick, and my game of the week is not Gloomhaven. Boy, no one, yeah, no one says it's not available anymore. You can't buy Gloomhaven, Garrick. Nowhere. No. Oh, that sucks. I thought it was on Amazon. If I, I can't click on that Amazon button. If you hadn't wasted all your money on this crazy War of the Rings yeah, yeah. edition, you might have been able to afford a copy of Gloomhaven. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll never, we'll never know how much gloom there was in that haven. Um, but I'm not gloomy. Right now, Tom Chick. I'm, Why I'm, is that? Why? What do you have to be happy about? Uh, well, it sounds like there's a game coming out uh, by uh, a developer who has is batting a perfect 100% or batting 1,000. That's a baseball term there. Tom. Right, yeah, nothing uh, but net. Nothing but – exactly. That's good. You know you're learning. Um, he has uh, – all of the games that he has shipped have been fantastic, every single one of them. Both of them. one. <laughs> right, but it's Vietnam '65. That's a game that uh, you and I both liked. Uh, it was uh, it came out almost exactly two years ago. I, I looked at the uh, the review. Our, our review is from March of '15, and it is now March 17. And we had a great conversation with Johan Nagel, the designer, back then. So let's let's repeat that with Afghanistan '11. Oh wow, it's like a time machine. It is, but with a different game. Let's go talk to Johan. Sounds good. Johan, um, we talked about uh, Vietnam 65. Now we're talking about Afghanistan. Um, it's been a while. How long How long between the release of Vietnam 65 and um, did, how long after the v- release of Vietnam 65 did you guys start working on Afghanistan? I was actually working on Afghanistan very, very shortly after um, Vietnam 65 was launched. Um, because I see Afghanistan as actually um, it's an evolution of the coin model underneath the game. You know, Afghanistan just happened to be the topic. Like mm-hmm. right now, I'm working on the next iteration already. So I was working on it pretty quickly. I had it in my mind, and I started working about it maybe two months after we settled the the whole launch and the patch. I see. Now you obviously had took this opportunity to do things differently or better or in a different manner than you did in Vietnam '65. Going forward with Afghanistan 11, what were your initial priorities for how to adapt or change what you had done in Vietnam 65? We learned so many good lessons out of Vietnam 65. I mean, Vietnam 65 was almost a proof of concept for me. Um, and, you know, the difficult thing with putting a game out is, is, is deciding on what to leave out. Um, and, and definitely the major step changes in Afghanistan 11 was firstly the engine. I mean, we've got a fully, you know, we've got a full 3D engine now. 2D, Vietnam 65 was 2D, but that was just that was just aesthetics. Um, what I really wanted to do was I really wanted to bring the campaign into it, and I wanted to bring non-military means of affecting hearts and minds into it, and I wanted to bring external political events into it. So that's kind of achieved in A11, but you know, I'm only halfway through my list. Hmm. I have a question for you. Why is it called Afghanistan 11? Yeah, like why isn't it Afghanistan 01 or yeah. even Af- Afghanistan 14 when we actually? You, uh, well, did, I mean, we're playing yeah. scenarios. You have scenarios in there that are like you know 2006, 2008. What is the, what does 11 have to do with anything? It's a, a it's something I've been had to defend ever since I launched Vietnam 65. <laughs> uh, 
people people think it's about the year 65, but what I'm trying to do is create a sort of set of franchise rules, which will have an iconic badge, a name, an apostrophe, and a year somewhere in the middle or a key year in the conflict. Mm. So, so that's just 2011 as a date I chose. Vietnam 65 was the beginning of the ground war. But mm-hmm. people, I mean, I had to defend it. Like I said, people keep saying, well, this didn't happen in 2011. This happened in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a franchise uh, sort of protocol I'm trying to put together, so to speak. Okay. Well, what, what did happen in, in 2011? What was, the, what was the choice of 2011 based on? I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. Tom, I've forgotten. Uh, <laughs> 11 just sounded nice because it's two ones i think it sounded nice but i didn't want to say that on a <laughs> well then i i have a question about some of the specifics there uh and i don't know if this has to do with my understanding of how the war evolved uh if maybe you can shed some light on this vietnam 65 the model very clearly uh laid out the difference between the Viet Cong and the north vietnamese army they were very different kinds of forces. They were very different kinds of warfare. They did very different kinds of things. They served different roles in that conflict. You have something similar in Afghanistan 11 where there are the Taliban and the militia. And I was a little unclear on you know, the way we think of the, the war in Afghanistan is that the U.S. and the U.K. and NATO were strictly fighting the Taliban that it was all Taliban all the time, that that was our enemy. But you have this idea of a sort of a lower level of Taliban that obviously mirrors what you did in Vietnam 65, but I'm not entirely sure what it's modeling in the real conflict. And I don't know if that's a shortcoming of my understanding of the conflict, but can you explain why there are Taliban, why there are militia, and what the difference is between those two forces in the game? So firstly, um, I, I have a sort of set model that I need to fit to. You know, I, I need an insurgency and I need a more sort of conventional uh, force for both sides. That, that kind of is, is, a, is a sort of prerequisite for the model that I've got. But, I mean, that aside, I mean, there are factions in Afghanistan right from even when the Russians, the Soviets were there, um, where they sort of change allegiances and they really are just warlords roaming around making money out of taxing the people and growing opium crops. So that's really what I'm trying to represent here. That makes sense. It it just seems because when I play and I've I've only gotten a few games under my belt, it's still very new to me. Uh, I feel like I'm playing most of the game against militia, and every now and then the Taliban come in almost as guest stars. Uh, yeah. And of course, over the course of the game, their involvement ramps up. You have their the idea of Taliban offensives where there will be outbursts, kind of. But I feel like I'm spending a lot of time fighting non-Taliban militia, and I presume that's by intent. I think it's maybe a naming convention. The the militia essentially are Taliban. Um, in the game, the Taliban are probably more representative of foreign forces coming from Pakistan that aren't the local indigenous Taliban. You know, if 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 you get where I'm going with it, I just couldn't call them both Taliban, but I actually right. wanted to represent like the tribesmen of Afghanistan, who are who are the basically the militia in this game, and then you have the sort of more organised. Um, sort of coming from from across the border in Pakistan, the more organized Taliban cells. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of who's in country, who's out country, and who's coming in country. Yeah, so that's a very interesting point that you're making there because um, I had assumed, and, and I was going to actually, this is one of the questions I was going to ask, but now it, it kind of makes sense, so I don't need to, I, I, it's not an appropriate question because I, yeah. I was wondering why you were, weren't, if you're going to 
portray the warlords, why you didn't have a mechanic where you could sort of use the UN and the like the UN aid and whatever to co-op the warlords, right? Because that's one of the things that we did, right? The, the warlords, if they're indigenous warlords, a lot of these militias actually we paid off, right? And yes. they were working. They were basically they they became sort of coalition adjuncts because we were paying whoever, or they had they had regional, you know political uh, objectives that were sort of in line with ours. So they, um, uh, yeah. you know, they were willing to work with us, but that's not what you're really representing here. Um, Bruce, you see, the thing is my ultimate defense in this game is I can always say it's abstract. Of course, <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, we're not, I'm not trying to hold you. I'm not trying no, no, to hold no, no. you to some, some unrealistic simulation. I'm just, I'm just trying to get kind of get you know, at with, where you're coming I mean, from. These were considerations. I kind of abstract that into the growth of the ANA force. Yeah, that's you know, what I was thinking. Is that, kind of, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a little blurry. Of course it is. But I'm, I'm actually trying to fit it. In fact, in my next iteration of this game, I'm going to have six factions, not four. Really? To represent things. Yeah, because it's, just, it's difficult sometimes. You don't want to force something into a model because then it loses credibility. Mm-hmm. But I, I yep. just think with Afghanistan 11, it kind of fitted. You know, the sort of militia with the warlords who are effectively the indigenous Taliban. You've got the Taliban, which were the, were the guys kicked out and, and regrouping in Pakistan. And the ANA represents people that sway across as well as the trained forces. You know, it's, it, but it's credible. You know, it fits and fits Even- the model. And I'll say, despite whatever naming convention issues I might have, that is very clearly the overarching gameplay pattern, which didn't exist in Vietnam 65, is one of that handover. Uh, and, and those thresholds that, that occur where you need to be pulling U.S. troops out and simultaneously building up ANA forces. Uh, that feels very much like the U.S. doctrine of getting the Northern Alliance to do a lot of the heavy lifting and the fighting. And that just gives a game of Afghanistan 11 a unique structure that, to me, regardless of whatever naming conventions are there, feels very much like what we actually did in Afghanistan. It was really something I should have done, which I left out in Vietnam 65, was the Vietnamization program, which was exactly that. Um, But it was a mechanic I left out. And also, I mean, my favorite game of all time, I'm a big Civilizations fan, but but Sid Meier's Colonization, I loved that game because you had a separation of game. You kind of, you know, you built your nation and then you call in the Queen's forces and a separate war of liberation. And that stuck with me. So playing A11 now is fantastic in my mind because you, you, you play it for 30, 40 turns and then you're in a different different dynamic sort of paradigm all of a sudden. And now you've got these ANA forces. So, yeah, I'm very happy with the result. That's exactly what I thought of. Johan, is, is colonization, is this idea that you, you're playing kind of like civilization. It's a very familiar structure, sure. but eventually it's always going to have a kind of a paradigm shift, and you need to adapt your early play towards that paradigm shift. Like there, there's a there's – it's almost like a, a three-act play. You know, there's a, there's a distinct yeah. structure here to the narrative, and it reminded me a lot of colonization. I'm, I'm glad to hear you bring that up. And, and I'm glad that you have that. I just want to point out that I'm glad you have that kind of endpoint because one of the things that I was thinking when I was, you know, when I was uh, playing the game, I was thinking, well, what would I do if I just wanted to have like some some silly cheat code? Like, oh, why don't we have, you know, uh, you know, three U.S. armored divisions just roll in? And then I thought, you know what? But that wouldn't work because the whole goal is to turn things over. So you can't just have, you know, NATO come in and occupy everything because your your goal is to is to train up the force. So I, I really like that that uh, those those 10 turns where you see how well your nation building has has gone. Well actually Bruce in the in the in the launch which is happening today as you guys know, um, it's actually I've changed it to 15 turns at the end. I want ah. 
Okay. More, I wanted more of a game on that side. It felt 10 was too short because what I do is, is what happens is when the game flips over to the handover, the Taliban launches an offensive, right? Because the forces are out and the Taliban now wants to come in. And 10 turns didn't give, it was too easy to defend. It didn't give you the depth of that second, that third act, as Tom mentioned. So hmm. I've changed that to 15 turns. I've also allowed the, um, the ANA forces to purchase trucks and and um, and Buffalo engineering vehicles at a very expensive PP premium. So it just brings a whole new dynamic to that end third act. You also, this is distinct also from Vietnam 65, and when I streamed the game the other day, this is one of the things I, I talked about, uh, partly because of, there's a whole confluence of things based on like the size of the map and the mobility of helicopters and this action point system where it feels like in any given turn, a lot more can happen than in Vietnam 65. There's a, a sort of a greater gameplay density here, and I presume that that was intentional. That was something you intended to happen. Absolutely. I, I was looking for, I mean, I love your term density. I was actually with the devs yesterday and I just threw it in like my own word and like I owned it. So thank you for that. <laughs> you, you can have that. I freely give that to you. <laughs> it just it just made a lot of sense to me. I mean, when you said the word on, on that podcast or that live broadcast you did, it just sunk me. That's exactly what I was trying to do. I didn't want that linear, you know, do one job. Like like your point about building one road hex tile at a time, you know, in Vietnam 65. I mean, the lessons in Vietnam 65 were tremendous. So yes, very much the density was by design, totally by design. Yeah, yeah like the a interesting lot of thing. Go ahead. Well, yeah, a lot of times you'll you'll say land some forces to gather intel at a village, and they gather the intel, and they've still got plenty they can do. You can be like, oh, oh yeah, I can fly over to the next village, or oh, I can get all the way back to base. Uh, it just seems like there's uh, the game is a lot less stingy with how much you can do at any given moment. It's a lot more willing. It keeps the pacing going. Like there's always more you can do. It, it sort of seems like, and a lot less waiting. But on the other hand, I think it it makes the um, the events that happen can be compartmentalized in, in this kind of way where they seem more um, uh, you know sort of a menacing or threatening. Because one thing I found out in in Vietnam sixty five once I really learned how to. Um, how to control the units and, and sort of pace all the supplies and everything was I was almost, you know, building my own little, uh, you know, um, jungle condo system. Right. You know, I would, right. I would take my, take my bulldozer out there and be like, okay, we got to get a road in here. And, and, um, you know, we'll just kind of cruise by these guys and have this little schedule. What's kind of like a you know, little school bus. Everybody comes by. And you know, I mean, I, I'm not criticizing the game. I'm just saying that, that there was, there, there was clearly stuff there that because of the jungle terrain, you could do things about it, right? And now I have these mountains. And the, well, this, I, it's like, oh, oh okay, those guys mountains. are on the other side of the mountains. There's nothing I'm going to be able to do about that. The trucks oh. can't get there. Uh, this is going to be something that we're going to have to deal with, you know, on a, you know, uh, helicopter basis only. And, hey, and, yo, Johan, yeah. can we please get tunnels? Let me build tunnels. <laughs> well, well uh, let, me, let me shed some light on this. We've got two debates going at the moment. One is, one is tunnels. Because definitely what we want to do is have elevated villages. We just no, haven't got. No, I'm kidding. Don't please don't put tunnels in. What, <laughs> but, that's absurd. <laughs> what now? What we are thinking of is you can airdrop certain units. So so we're thinking maybe you can airdrop, you know, like a, like a containerized version of one vehicle, and we're certainly going to bring in paratrooping uh, coming forward. Where if you want to deploy infantry into one of those sort of mountainous regions. You know, you can parachute them in. We're looking at the balancing, but it is a problem because if you have bases in a mountainous area and then you have the ANA 
you have the ANA handover, that's the reason we brought the MI8 helicopter in, because there was no ways for then the ANA to supply those bases and troops across the mountain. Well, so, is, is, would it be reasonable to say that they just can't do that? I mean, it, well, it seems possibly. to me like if you're going to, you know, players are players, are players, but I, I think at some point players decide that they want to overcome good gameplay design obstacles yeah. by just justifying some other well you know we, we should just be able i i can't imagine an, an an actual airborne operation into some of these valleys i mean it would be impossible right i mean you scatter all your supplies i mean if, even from a simulation standpoint it's kind of hard to hard to swallow but then the gameplay just suffers because you you're 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 artificially sort of overcoming things that the players should be kind of dealing with in other ways and you've given them the tools to do it I just think I'm too sensitive to what people think of my game, so I, I need to just you know, I just need to sort of pull back. That's why it's not in. I mean, I've I've been testing a little bit of paratrooping to see if it changes the dynamics, and you're right, it's just an easy, it's a cop out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, you've given people you've given people the tools, the tools yeah. to manage the problems yeah. that you've given them, and that I mean, that's that's good design, right? It's yeah. here here's a here's a design. Here's some problems. Here's some things you're never going to be able to do. Like you're never going to be able to get these convoys into some of these villages. That's just that's just part of the geography, and 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 one that I think reflects accurately the you know the the real life situation, which is great. Um, and so, but but that's but that doesn't mean that you know those people are doomed and that that the yeah. the player's position is 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 untenable. They just have to learn how to use the game's systems to get around it. I guess I, I guess the lesson for me is is keep logic in design and try and keep emotion out. Mm. Maybe <laughs> I, I'm I'm on board with that. I don't know what top yeah. check would think. Well, I do feel that uh, and this is a a, a a trope I've rolled out before, but the art of game design is the art of of, of creating. Uh, enjoyable frustration, right? It has yeah, to be fun, but there has to yeah. be frustration. And I, I really appreciate, Johan, how the mountains clearly say no. When I load yeah. up Vietnam 65, no matter how remote some place is off in the jungle, yeah. theoretically, I could build a road out there. This map can be whatever yeah. I want. But I love looking at those early Afghanistan 11, those early moments and realizing, you know what? That village is never going to have a base built near it. There's not room or yeah. I'm never going to be able to get a road out there. It's always going to be only supplied by helicopter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really appreciate a little frustration in my enjoyment, and I appreciate what the mountains add to that. And it also gives – like the drone, for instance – Parking yeah. a drone over mountains where you know the Taliban or the, the militia are spawning uh, feels great. Like right. I could take the time to march special forces up there. I could – you know, it, but that, that drone just acquires so much more usefulness. If I could just fly dudes up there and have a base and have them rotating in and out, that drone would be a lot less useful because when I first started playing, my thinking was, oh, god, when am I ever going to spend 200 pp on a drone? That's yeah. pointless. Uh, and now it's like, oh, gosh. I've got my oh, drone. I, I've had a drone available for two turns. Why didn't I use it? Yeah. And, and exactly. it's it's one of those things where you know the the uh, in real life the uh, planners don't have the luxury of calling God and saying, "Hey, God, you know this is really inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. So could we just could you make a way for us to supply these bases? Whereas you know they they developed a tool that yeah. uh, is used for a certain purpose, and the game. Because it accurately and 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 you know cleverly recreates those systems, encourages you and, and makes it 
makes sense to use that tool in exactly that way. And I think if you started being able to in- insert people into you know these, these inaccessible places, you would just end up devaluing the drone, right? And so then then you're starting to say, well, why do I even have this unit in there in the first place? I also think on the subject, the one thing that I've, I've really been pushing for, we just haven't got it in, it's coming soon, that would be having the Chinook carrying two units. Oh, you know, okay, that might one, justify the cost of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. I, I, I just, I've just always wanted that in. I always thought, you know, you, you can carry troops and supply or two troops, you know, because mm-hmm. the Chinook is a giant, you know, and it needs yeah. to reflect that, you know. Sure. So, so, so that's definitely very close to the top of my to do list at the moment. That sounds reasonable. Well, I, w- I want to get back to this frustration, though, thing, because, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm really frustrated. I got to say, I'm really frustrated when some of these presidential candidates. Are like yeah. there's one that said Pakistan is our only friend. They're not your only friend. I'm your friend. What what are you doing? Yeah, you know you get leftists and you get rightists. You know. Yeah. You get well, how did how did you come up with that? Because I think that's a I think that's a great mechanic. I it it, it was kind of um it's 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 one of those design things that that seems obvious when it. That's why I'm not a designer, right? Because I, I never would have come up with that on my own. But then as, as soon as I see it in the game, I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Well, that makes perfect sense. Of course, you have a, you have to deal with the collections. I was just uh, yeah, uh, one of the challenges I was trying to do with A11 um, as opposed to V65 is introduce more interesting decisions and 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 more impactful interesting decisions is really what was driving me and I was thinking how can I at the flip I mean initially you should have seen it it was worse I had like eight sort of different um, elements per candidate. It, it was like ridiculous. I mean, I had to water it down to four, but I mean, there was so much you could do there, but eventually you'd spend half an hour just deciding on which candidate. And that's why I even put the flags in there just to make it even visually more simplistic. Um, but I, I was looking for a mechanic that that I could flip the game over like that. And, I, and elections are a major part of Afghanistan. I mean, whenever you, you know, whenever you read on Afghanistan, there's always the politics. Uh, you, I had to represent it somehow. Um, where I got it from, I think if you, I think the initial inspiration was the coup d'etat cards in the coin series, Volko series. Ah, very interesting. I, I think when I saw the coup card in Fire in the Lake, I went, that's interesting. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a sub-dynamic lying in the background, but it does have an impact in the game. And I think that's really where the formulation of that concept came from. Well, did you, so does that mean you've played a distant plane? Of course I've played a distant plane. I've played... Uh, Fire in the Lake and Distant Plane are two of my favorite of the series. Okay, so um, so so you're so you basically have this sudden um, this sudden event that is not necessarily planned for um, that kind of could possibly have you change your whole strategy. Well, then w- when I spend uh, political points to influence the election, what does that do? So the election mechanic is um, it's I think I don't. I don't know if I want to explain it in detail, but the principle is is when the election gets announced, we take a snapshot of the hearts and minds of all the villagers. Mm-hmm. And then we track everything that happens for the next five turns and we amplify certain things. So, for example, if the U.S. hits a mine or loses a troop, their, their normal hearts and minds that they have in the game mechanic stays the same. But I amplify it and keep score of it. And then I add up all these bits and pieces in the end to the base score and I determine the winner. So, so the people so, are remembering things more because it's absolutely. election season. It's amplified, absolutely. So everything that happens is amplified, and then I, then I stack the scores together, and I add a little bit of randomness, and then the PP you spend actually equates to a number of political points that you can actually then add to the U.S. side before equating the winner. So, Johan, I can understand not wanting to make that 
not wanting to surface that too much because that is kind of as we realize here in America, the unpredictability of an election <laughs> is an important facet of it. Uh, however, and I suspect Bruce feels the same way, I wish I had more information about whether or not spending those PP, how much of a difference that made, or even how close I got. Like I would love to see when the election comes out, the equivalent of like exit polls. Like how close was I? What things really swung this? Uh, is that yeah. something you intentionally want to be mysterious? Because I feel a little bit like I don't know what I'm getting for my 1500 PP, so therefore I'm not going to spend it. And then when somebody wins or loses, it feels like a coin toss. Clearly, yeah, I, that's not I, what's happening. No, it's not. I spent a thousand once, and and I spent the other 500, I think, on a buffalo or whatever it costs 500, and and I lost, yeah. and the election didn't work out. And I kept right. thinking, first of all. I hate that Buffalo. And second of all, uh, I wish I had known what the, whether those extra 500 political points would have, you know, tipped the balance. Yeah. yeah. I, I intentionally want to keep it under the hood. Um, I mean, politics in Afghanistan are a mystery. I mean, I know the U.S. is of late slightly mysterious to all of us. But the point is, in Afghanistan, there is mystery to it. And uh, I really don't want to, it's by design not to bring it out. I actually want you to think, the fact that you're thinking, did that 500 PP go or not, that's great. Now you're actually making a, a value judgment, and I want you to make that judgment. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I, I'm, I, that's, a, that's a reasonable, I mean, yeah. it's, it's frustrating, but, uh, yeah. but it's, I, 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 can, I can see where you're coming from in that. But it's critical. And, and uh, you yeah. even lets us turn that off. Like uh, the, the random events in the elections yeah. are a setting in the difficulty levels, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, if you don't want them, you can switch them off. The newspaper events, too, that are, that's another addition from Vietnam 65, these random political events that affect you. You can also switch them off, too, if you wish. Okay. Those, oh, my, those can be infuriating or oh. inconsequential. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had a handover and then you get the newspaper saying, you know, the desertions in the ANA oh ranks? My goodness, I saw that. Yeah, I couldn't believe it's in there. You're just no, taking like, units oh. away from me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's exactly what I'm trying to do in a, in a lesser impactful way, but it does, it does impact the game. Well, so, Johan, you've talked about uh, some of the ongoing development stuff you're considering with, uh, say, uh, airlifting troops into mountains. Uh, the big one, and I believe this is still in the, the released manual, uh, you reference a convoy system that at the very end you felt it wasn't working, but it's something that you still want to put in. What – and you said at the top of your to-do list uh, – actually, I forgot what you said was up there. Uh, oh, the Chinook. Uh, so yeah. what are some things that you're looking at? And tell us a little bit about the convoy system that we can expect. All right, so the convoy system is right at the top of the list. Um, it was actually a design fault of mine. I didn't realize I would end up trucking so much urinate around the map. Um, when you get to the sort of middle to late game, you know, when you want to influence the sort of eastern or western side of the map that you haven't been present in, you know, a great way to do it is to, to send trucks. You know? And you want a mechanism where, firstly, you can put something in front of the trucks, just like the convoy system. And convoys in Afghanistan you know, is the method of, of, of transit. So, so what we're going to have is inside the bases, you'll be able to formulate a convoy. And then you just click on the leader, and the leader will then drag all of those vehicles with them. Mm -hmm. Then once you're out the base, simply by clicking on any of the vehicles, you can click out of it and then rejoin the convoy. So, so I mean, I'm actually play testing it at the moment. It's really working well. I just had to, I just had to take it out because there's, there's two little bugs we just can't seem to get our hands on, and I can't launch with that. But it, it does add it does add a, a real sense of realism because convoys obviously is what happens in Afghanistan. Can I put a husky in, in front of the convoy? Absolutely. Well, your choice would be you can put anything in front of the convoy. You can put a supply truck if you're brave enough. But it'll but, it'll that's the speed that you're yeah. gonna, that's going to go at, right? 
So the interesting decision you're going to have to make is, do I put a Husky in front or do I put an MRAP with a troop in it in front? Because a Husky will detect any kind of IED, but will get ambushed if, um, you know, oh. if the is waiting. Or you put an MRAP with a troop in, which will help you with the ambush, but won't help you with the mines. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, so these are these interesting sort of dynamics, because I can't make the, the convoy infallible, you know, where you, you put a vehicle in front and it's, just, it's, it's immune and it just travels through the whole countryside. That would be right. wrong. So the, the dynamic with convoys will be, do I go ambush or do I go anti-IED? Well, what's the point of the convoy, though, is besides the, you know, obviously the, um, you know, m- mirroring, you know, real world uh, events, is it to, to try to automate something so that you can, once you have sort of a, a pacification system, you can more easily send stuff around? Is it, is it, like, a, is it like an interface sort of uh, it's, it's, boost? It's an efficiency. It's an efficiency. There's nothing worse when you click continue and you watch four trucks going in the same direction, each individually go there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I, mean, I, I, got, I just like, like you and the escape key, you know, I just, I just want to scream. I'm going like, come on. By the way, the escape key is third on the list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Cause you're mentioning when you hit the escape key to back out of a base, it instead pulls up the, the game settings yeah. and you didn't mean to go that far back. Right. Right. Yeah. No, but, so, yeah, but, but it's definitely an efficiency thing, but also it, it fits the scenario. Well, tell, I want to. I want to just as, as, in terms of things that that were new. We were talking about things that were new from Vietnam '65. What what uh, what was the genesis of you having these this campaign with these linked missions? Um, that because that certainly isn't something that was was available before. I mean, and you have. Uh, I mean, they're interesting. They're you know, in the fact, in the sense that they're scenarios, right? They're smaller scenarios, but they're linked. Um, was that to to give. Uh, players a, per, a particular puzzle or because you want to recreate things that happened, you know, in real life or a little bit of both or what? And can I make a guess, actually? Can I guess, yeah. Johan, and tell me if I'm wrong, that that's in there because people complained that there was no campaign in Vietnam 65. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? Primarily you're right. Mm. <laughs> um, but also it gives us the opportunity to to set the geography as opposed to a random geography and, and set interesting puzzles. Okay. But, but primarily people were saying, where's the campaign? You know, and I went, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive. I will give you a campaign. Isn't skirmish mode a campaign? I mean, it, I, I feel it's more of a campaign than – it's more linked than these individual puzzles. Skirmish, I don't understand. Kids these days, I don't I, get them. I call it classic mode and campaign mode because this game really shines in skirmish. Right, right. I agree. Yeah, that's where that's, that's what I, this is. I, I mean, I don't think I would play campaign, but uh, um, it's there. You know, and I'm glad we did it. But I love playing skirmish, and I get the surprise of the of the geography, and uh, I, I, you know, it's just I like it's classic. It's classic. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how the procedural map generation works, uh, because I I sort of feel when I start up a game, I can get hugely variable difficulty levels based on yeah. what kind of map gets rolled up, and I feel like somebody new to the game might just take the first map that shows up. And really put <laughs> yeah. themselves in a difficult situation and not quite be aware of that. Uh, and then so, play the game again. Yeah. <laughs> so is that is that something you're okay with? Is that something? Uh, I, I almost feel like certain maps should maybe come up with a warning. Like, are you sure you want this one? It's going to be really difficult. Well, well, well there's two things there, uh, Tom. Was was that one? We wanted it to be totally randomly generated, as opposed to. I mean, we we actually discussed maybe designing a hundred maps and randomly bringing them up because the chance of you getting it again and we'll seed it. So you sequentially work through a hundred maps, but we all knew all the maps were going to be of a particular grade. But you know, we want the randomness of it. 
-hmm. But to counter this, what we're doing about six on the list is we're going to have a section inside the skirmish mode where we're going to have a designer's choice of maps and maps chosen by users. And we'll put the codes in there because you can see already when you go to the skirmish mode, there's yeah. a pattern mechanism. So we're going to actually have a window in there, which we will, when we come across a really cool map or, or someone wants to share an experience, we're going to start listing the top 10 maps. And then we're going to start grading them by beginner maps, intermediate maps, and more complex maps. So hopefully when the guy comes in and plays it, he'll go to one of those maps. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, but definitely, I don't want to change the randomness of the design because I get surprised almost every time I, I actually initialize a skirmish, which is exactly the emotion I want to get out of it. When I start a game, I will sometimes look at the map and think, nope, and re-roll. Yeah. Am I cheating? No, you are cheating. That is wrong. That is wrong. <laughs> it. I mean, so you're a U.S. commander, and you get deployed to a region. You say, no, sorry, Colonel, I don't like the topography. Yeah, I want to move on somewhere else where there's more oh, planes. You're, you're not allowed to do that. I didn't realize that's no, no, why no, I'm no, not in no. the military. Yeah. Well, not in the South African military. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, one of the things you brought up when I was streaming – there's a lot of South African hardware in here. Uh, is that is that uh, you just sort of wanting to get in a little bit for the home team, or is that really an accurate picture of the deployment in Afghanistan? No, very very accurate. In fact, um, you know, in the in the 80s when we had our own counterinsurgency war year in in Angola, we pioneered anti-mine warfare and vehicles. And that's where the basis of that's why it's the MRAP and the Buffalo and the Husky. All the mine related technology in vehicle design, military vehicle design emanates from all the research and the and the real because the Angola war was a mine counterinsurgency war, very similar to Afghanistan. You're talking about the, the civil the not the not the Bush. war against Portugal, but the but the after no. the after independence. The Bush the yeah, the South African UNITA Angola FAPLA right. war. Right. Which is my which is my next topic, by the way. Really? That's what I, I wondered if you were going to tell us. So that, no, that is the, this is the thing with the six factions that you're that you exactly. mentioned. Exactly. We're going to have the Cubans in the background. Um, so FAPLA, MPLA, UNITA, SWAPO, um, South Africa. SWAPO, South Africa, and wow, and the Cubans. And yeah, and Cubans. So this can be a very interesting mix. Um, and we're also wow. going to have first time we're going to have. Um, cross-border, there's going to be two countries involved. There's going to be Southwest Africa and Angola, which is the very strong dynamic in the war about cross-border raids and, and that sort of thing. So I've done the design on it. I'm, I'm just can't wait to see oh, that's going to be South great. African soldiers running around. But the publisher reckons it's, it, it's, it's a bit niche. I don't care. I'm doing it. That's emotion. That's exactly what I wondered about, Johan, is is there any pushback from your publisher, who's been very supportive so far, uh, for doing something so obscure? Because if, if I was your publisher, I... As a game player, I'm excited, but as your publisher, I'm thinking, how am I going to sell something about a war <laughs> that nobody in the U.S. knows about? Like everybody in the U.S. knows Vietnam and knows Afghanistan. Those are sexy. Those would sell. But a South yeah. African, what? what? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you were flying the war, we had this discussion, and eventually um, the CEO of Slytherin, um, J.D., said to me, and you know what? Just get it out of your system. Nice. Right. Uh, so I said, thank you. I'm going to get it out of my system. <laughs> it's sort of like film directors, like a film director does a big blockbuster and then he gets to do whatever indie uh, art house movie he wants. And then he does a big blockbuster to earn the cachet to do his little indie movie. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, have, you, have you gotten any? So Afghanistan is, of course, more timely than Vietnam or certainly more contemporary. Uh have there been any reservations about things like like mentioning Al Qaeda or uh, is there anything that has been tricky or that you've wanted to not touch on? 
How, how delicate have you had to be making Afghanistan 11? Um, well, the, well, the answer is very delicate. Um, uh, the publisher, once again, when we had discussions, you know, we, we've had lots of discussion. You, you'll even see the, you know, the opening screen is a dedication. You know, this is a true, this is a story we're telling, but it's got to be done with respect. Um, it, it, it is sensitive. I don't think we've seen anything come out yet because we haven't launched it yet. So I'm sort of buckling in a little and let's see how it comes out. But I just hope it comes across as we're telling the soldier stories. Because I have I have one or two US Army officers that advise me on the game, you know, that I've that I've farmed along the way from Vietnam 65. So I've checked a lot of things, you know, directly with with, with, with officers in your own military. So I'm I'm very, very respectful of it. But I think we are gonna get some kind of reaction. You know, this is the internet after all. Right. Well, are, are, how about speaking of people that are that are involved in the U.S. military? You're not in any way related to Lieutenant Colonel John Noggle, are you? <laughs> you know, that, that is such a that is such a weird coincidence. By the way, he's playing the game. Is he? So we, <laughs> oh, wow. I, I read his book. I read, his, I read both his books. Um, it's so it's just ridiculous that I mean our names are literally. He's even got an A. He's he's John A. Noggle. I'm Johan Noggle. It's kind of. <laughs> It's ridiculous, but I just thought it was amazing, and he's a coin specialist. So we actually reached out to him from the publisher side and said, we'd love you to play this game and give us some feedback. So I would like, I would think there would be an interview or something coming up with Johan Nagel meets John Nagel. <laughs> okay. Have there been any changes that you've had to make specifically, or not had to, but that you've made specifically in response to that sort of professional feedback? Absolutely. I, I mean, even the choice of vehicles, the sounds that I used, um, a number of nuances to the game, very much so. I have a particular uh, one guy that, that, that in particular has advised me tremendously. So invaluable. I mean, that's on the ground experience. You know, he, I think he did two, two tours in Afghanistan. It was, it was invaluable and fascinating for me. I mean, I love this stuff. Something also distinct in here from Vietnam 65, uh, there's much more of a sense of nation building, of doing things rather than just putting out the torch to get hearts and minds, uh, creating infrastructure, linking up the villages, the whole UN aid idea. Uh, there's much more of, of a sense of the Operation Afghanistan's humanitarian efforts. Uh, I presume that was important from the beginning, something that you wanted to model. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was a whole nether level to the game. Um, to the gameplay, but but definitely, I mean, you can't just, I mean, well, the American campaign in Afghanistan is characterized by nation building. You know, you, you can't ignore it and you can't just give it sort of lip service. You've got to give it a real chunk of the design. So that, that was a massive departure from V65. Yeah. And it makes the gameplay very differently, too, I feel, just along with the, the withdrawal mechanic. Uh, it feels like very different from what we did in Vietnam 65. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, an interesting game that you should try um, sometime, I do it quite a lot just to test the skills, is you play a passive mode. So all you do is you only have huskies and trucks and buffaloes and see how far you get. Whoa, okay. <laughs> that yeah, sounds... very interesting. I mean, it's actually quite interesting. I mean, it's, it's almost saying, can I win this game without combat? Right. Johan, I'll yeah. do it if you put an achievement for it in there. <laughs> I'll put a special medal in for that, yeah. <laughs> Uh, are the medals on the uniform just achievements? Are they just Steam achievements, or is it its own internal system? No, it's internal. Uh, it's an internal system which we then just mirror purely into Steam achievements. Okay. Uh, and I noticed there was, if I'm not mistaken, in Vietnam '65, as your uniform got uh, more respectable uh, with 
with metals and whatnot, you reduced the time for airstrikes to come in. Uh, there's no such gameplay effect from the uh, uniform in Afghanistan 11, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? That, that was a mistake in Vietnam 65, I think, because as you got better, the game got easier, which didn't right. quite make sense. So right. now that's gone. The uniform now is purely aesthetic. Right. Bruce, how's and your you uniform put- looking? Oh, it, it's, it should be it should be much uh, spiffier than it is. I need to get to work on that. I do like seeing my progress towards a specific medal, though. I'm like, okay, next game I have to try to do this to get that medal. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, no, it's it's a little thing, but it's another one of those franchise standards that I'm putting in. It'll always have a badge, an apostrophe, and a uniform. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like I mean, right now also, the, I mean, the, before the before the next iteration of the game comes out, we're going to be doing a. a a British Army uh, DLC on Afghanistan, where we're going to change the units, change the uniform, change the flags, and make it a British version of Afghanistan 11. So you'll see a nice, interesting uniform there. But you're saying that's actually in the works, that we can expect a uh, uh, UK DLC? It's done already. The art's done. I'm just really starting to – I must just get Convoy and the escape key out of my out of my to-do list. So oh, thank you. is it – is it strictly yeah. cosmetic, or are there different gameplay mechanic or different gameplay implications with having the UK? The vehicles and the infantry, so the variables behind the the vehicles and the units are going to are going to change. Otherwise, the game is going to basically be the same. But you're going to have different. You're going to have, for example, like a a a, a UK bulldog, uh, which is a vehicle, but they can go and gather intel from a village. You know, so there's going to be some subtle changes to mm. the actual gameplay. Oh, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I also I think you know the British. Uh, a lot of the British guys have got hold of me and said, "Well, where's the Union Jack?" You know, and I said, "Yeah, I know it's coming." <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, the graphics engine has obviously come a long way. You mentioned it's 3D. Uh, one of the things that I recommend users do that I've only recently figured out. I didn't figure it out in time for my stream. But when you hit continue and units are going through the orders that you have queued up, if you zoom all the way in. Uh, it makes for a really cool-looking game. Just you can see up close the vehicle models. You can see the flags on the side of the vehicle showing what it's carrying. Uh, yeah. Just you, you've made an engine that stands up under cl- closer scrutiny, uh, and it looks really good. And it's such a waste, you know. I keep telling the guys, the devs, because they did a great job on the on the on the on the artwork and the graphics. Is that I mean, invariably with a game like this, this style of game, you play in zoomed out mode, and it's unfortunate right. because. The detail levels and the model, the details they've done really is great. I actually think somewhere down the line, the ultimate for me, somewhere in this franchise might be a real-time version of it. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Johan, that was my thought as well. I I mean, I love the idea of that, but good Lord, I I so love sitting back and considering things, and I would hate to have any reflexes involved. I I would say anytime anyone has a strategy game that looks this good and it's turn-based and you think, boy – I want to do real time. Just think combat mission shock. <laughs> yeah, no, no. The, I mean, Ouch. the part. The part ah, sorry, I just got it. I mean, that's just the facts. Uh, that's 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 reality, the path, guys. The path we're on here is we're going to be doing a UK DLC, then we're doing a USMC Marine Corps DLC, and then we're going to be doing Angola, and then we're going to do the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan after that, which is going to be a completely different mechanic. Yeah, that's going. That's there's not much counterinsurgency there. There's not much hearts and minds there, I guess. It's, it's, <laughs> It's, it's a lot more, less nation building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a different approach to coin warfare. I mean, what they did was basically, if you didn't play ball, we didn't build your clinic. They just bombed the village. Right, so, right. Yeah. So there's going to be so so the, the mechanic change will be not getting a hundred um, hearts and minds to win. It's not getting below zero. 
<laughs> oh gosh. Well, I gotta <laughs> tell you, um, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to flying some MI 24s around. Oh, uh, absolutely. What an yeah. iconic looking aircraft. Yeah. 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 Wow. So you really, you've got it all planned out. Well, I mean, I mean, the, all I heard is Angola. Now, I, now I'm just like, oh my God, I gotta, I have to play this game. But, uh, um, so, so you really do have a good, uh, sort of a, a good way forward. You have, so uh, for, if I can recap yeah. what you said, you have, um, already done sort of the artwork and, and things for, for the, for the, uh, British and, and the then, and, and the Marine. And then, so then, and also us Marines, and then you will have a completely different game in Angola, and then you've got another game already planned out for Afghanistan. Wow, that's that's pretty ambitious. That's the path. I mean, that's the, and I think ultimately we are going to revisit Vietnam in Vietnam '66, and it's going to be spectacular. That's that's my plan. I want to take all the learnings, and and bring it together and revisit Vietnam, which has always been my base passion, and and do a Vietnam proper, like because I left so much out in '65. Wow. Oh. That's that's an ambition. That's that I would love. Well, I would love to see all of that be spectacularly successful because I think those are all great ideas. So those are the kinds of ideas that uh, that I think are are sort of missing from people's conceptions of what what uh, computer strategy games can do. I think that the, the yeah. computer game designers have been leaving too much to the uh, to the cardboard uh, guys. They're they're way out in front. So uh, you gotta yeah. you gotta you gotta you gotta catch those guys up a bit. Got to rein them in. That's right. Yeah, but having said that, I'm busy on a board game. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. It's a topic. Um, Royal Navy, 18th century. Oh, okay. 18, 18th century. 18th century. Nelson's Navy, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess well. Or strategic level. Um, it's operational. It's almost Great. like um, ant farm management on a on a 18th century Royal Navy frigate. Right. Well, there's there is um who who designed 1805 is a game, right? Yes, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I think I think it is. Um, well, there's well, there's a game. There's a um, I think it's GMT. I can't remember. I think you, but you guys might scoff at the design. I don't know. Sea of Glory. That's it. Sea of eighteen oh five. Sea of Glory. The game I'm designing is more in the sort of line of of Stone Age. You know, when you play with meeples and resource allocation on a board, as opposed ah. to a strategy tactical. It's an okay. abstract. So so it's. Um, I'll send you a pick. Okay, so so you'd have to uh, so I I'd, I'd roll enough dice to get like uh, grape shot. No, and actually, then, no, it's more about putting allocating um, your sailors to various stations to get various effects on your boat while trying okay. to carry out the missions from the admiralty. Okay, all right, yeah, send us a pick. Wow, well, I'll send I, you a pick. Yeah. Very, very, very curious. Okay, yeah. uh, Johan, what board games uh, have you been playing lately? Obviously, you, you play board games, you draw inspiration from them. What uh, what is what have you been struck by lately? Um, promise you won't judge me. Oh, if you're gonna say like ticket to ride, I can't make that promise. No, no. So he's, he's been playing Mage Knight, I think. No, no. So, so I mean, I, I, actually, I went to I went to G3 in San Francisco. I got back a couple of weeks ago, which was great. Um, and there's a game they called Captain Sonar. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm judging you, Johan. I am definitely judging I you right now. <laughs> it just got me. It just I mean, I love submarines. My father was a submariner. I grew up on submarines. I couldn't I couldn't resist it. So um, it, it's very simplistic. It's four people on four, and you know, one's the navigation officer, and one's the sonar officer. I just, I just love the interaction and the way the balance, the way the game's balanced. So, so forgive me. I'll, I'll play it for a couple of weeks, and I'll go back to my military board games. Bruce, you do you played, know what Captain Sonar is? Is people I, yelling I, at each other? Yes, people yeah. <laughs> are. Uh, yeah, it's like that. It's like that Star Trek uh, thing where you, where you're on the bridge of bridge. the ship or whatever. Yeah. 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 But well, have you played uh, They Come Unseen? No, I haven't. 
So look that one up. Uh, it's a uh, it's a guy. He um, gosh, I, I wish I could. Re- I, sh- I should Google his name. The designer is a, a, ro- a retired Royal Navy officer, and mm. he's Sir Andrew Benford, and uh, he served on nuclear submarines, I believe. Um, and uh, he made a game about uh, Soviet um, Soviet uh, destroyers trying to track down uh, a NATO nuclear sub. Oh, wow. What's it called again? Called They Come Unseen. They Come Unseen. It sounds like a horror movie. Well, it is a horror movie if you're uh, if you're a Soviet. <laughs> I, I remember playing 688i with that sonar waterfall. I mean, yeah, Oh, my I, gosh. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Huh? yeah. 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 So, uh, what, yeah. so your father was a submariner? And you, you say you, you like you've been on submarines as a kid. My father was a submariner. My brother is a colonel in the Special Forces. And I'm a lieutenant in the Marines. Well, I was. So a very military family. I'm like second generation military. So, yeah, as a kid, I grew up on a submarine. We used to go out on the submarine and visit my dad, you know, and we used to get onto the boat. It was fantastic. You could do that? Like people on submarines are allowed to bring their kids on board and show them around? Depends what rank you were. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) The rank has its perk. (laughs) R-H-I-P. All right, well, uh, Johan, I'm. I know. I think I speak for Bruce. I'm pretty tickled with how Afghanistan 11 has has turned out. Yep. Uh, it is your launch right now. It's it's available on Steam. So, uh, I personally, I I definitely recommend folks that. So, a good friend of mine. I play board games with what I would consider a, a casual group. Um, yeah. They, uh, we play a lot of different things. They're, none of us is terribly good at anything. We have our fingers in a whole bunch of different kinds of games that we enjoy, uh, and. None of them is really into serious strategy games. At one point, I was talking about Vietnam 65 with one of my friends who's terrible at all games. He's he's no good at anything, but he loves playing different things. And he uh, came back to me a couple of weeks later, and he's like, oh, I got that Vietnam 65 game. And I went, oh, I'm not sure that's for you. Uh, that may not be the sort of thing you'd enjoy. And he continued to come back telling me about – like he was a super casual guy, and he really loved Vietnam 65. I don't think he could have told you – three things about the war in Vietnam. Uh, yeah. But he, he really loved this game. And if you told him, hey, here's this war game about Vietnam, I, I don't think it would have normally gotten his attention. Uh, but I, I love how your design has a kind of a cross-genre appeal. And I feel yeah. like Afghanistan 11 definitely considered continues in that vein. Yeah. Well, definitely. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, it's really... It, I'm trying to capture the essence of civilization in there too, as you obviously, it's so apparent, you know, that anyone can play civilization. You don't really have to be a military buff or a, you know, a NATO symbol guy to play civilization. So um, I'm trying to make a game that has got a wider appeal, definitely. Uh, well, yeah, I feel you've done a great job with it, and congratulations. Yep. Yeah, Thank definitely you. congrats on, on uh, I, I got to say, I'll put this out there. Um, I'm always nervous when a developer, especially an in, a small indie developer, puts out a game that does well, and then they change subjects, and too often they're like, "Okay, just um, just call the call the Austrians the Prussians and change the <laughs> uniform color, and then yeah. um, just put in put in more trees or fewer trees, and then that'll be another game." Uh, I'm so I, sensitive to being called someone that reskins their game. I'm super sensitive. This is not, yeah. For any for anybody yeah. who's who's listening to this podcast and yeah. would like to know about uh, Afghanistan uh, 11, and they've if they've you've played Vietnam 65, this is in no way 
a reskin. That is that that the word is inoperative and inapplicable to this game. It's recognizable, but it's certainly not a reskin. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 oh yeah, yeah. You'll definitely you'll definitely see. But they're very familiar concepts. But it's it's not. There are there are substantial. It plays substantially differently, uh, and there are new things. And uh, uh, let's we talked about the mountains themselves. Just that the terrain uh, completely the changes the game. Yeah. The, the elections, yeah. I mean, and you know, even the next iteration, which is Angola, which I will finally get. In case JD's listening, yes, I will get it out of my system. Mm-hmm. Um, it will it, also it will it will not be a rescan. It will have fundamental game mechanics that you did not find in the pre in the two preceding sort of titles. So yeah, yeah. very committed to that. Good. All right. Awesome. Uh, Johan, thank you so much. Uh, and you know, actually, I do want. I wasn't going to ask you this, but I just want to see how you <laughs> respond. Uh, yeah. What is your opinion on uh, the U.S. war in Afghanistan? Oh, you shouldn't have asked me that. Uh, Why is that? Because I don't think it's over yet. You know, it hasn't. The end game hasn't played out yet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we've still got what, ten thousand oh. soldiers there. Sure. Sure. Uh, now, do you say that as well? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is that a criticism when you say that? I. Oh, it's difficult to answer. I I don't think it's a clear counterinsurgency victory. I don't think it's a defeat at all, like not even close. But I don't think it's a clear counterinsurgency victory like the British did in Malaya. That was a that was a clear counterinsurgency victory where they literally killed the insurgency and they moved on. The communist insurgency in Malaya, where this is this is a partial victory at the moment. And I don't know if it's played out or not. Yeah. Okay. Fair well, like Francois Bizot said about uh, the Americans in Vietnam. Uh, he's not sure, uh, or, or actually in Cambodia, because that's what he where he was. But uh, right. he's not sure which he uh, is, which he is more angry at the Americans for uh, them having come or them having left. Absolutely, this, that, that's my point. It's kind of I think we were, I think that directionally it was going to be a spectacular coin victory, which is very rare, by the way. I mean, if you look through history, there's very few times because politically people don't reform, and then the insurgent ultimately wins hearts and hearts and minds. But I think the path was right. I just think it was a long and expensive path. So, yeah, the jury's out on the on the on the, on the decisive victory part. But yeah, it's a complicated war. Huh? Yeah. Well, if you if you need to do another Western victory, just uh, do uh, Greece. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. Pre- that was pretty successful. That's, That's going to sell about as many copies as actually. I mean, that'll sell fewer copies than an Angola game. <laughs> I don't need to get that out of my system. It's just Angola. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. That, Johan, thanks so much for talking to us. Uh, best of luck in the game. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm sure. I appreciate the support. You guys have been fantastic. I really appreciate the input as well. Thank you. We could have had it all. We could have had it So Johan sent us a picture of his uh, Royal Navy game. Garrett, what's your take on that? Uh, HMS Meeple. Uh, it's so it it is not operational. I would say this is a this is a, a tactical, not even grand tactical. I mean these are these are guys that are on the uh, they're on the what is what is that rigging ballast? They're what, rigging what? in the rigging. Yes, that's exactly yes. It's one of those. They're on the forecastle. Uh, I can believe this is the this is the sort of game you would expect from someone who enjoys Captain Sonar. Ah, well, I you know, but I'm telling you, I, I want to hear, I want to know what he thinks about uh, the common scene. But uh, I'll tell you something. Uh, I'm, I'm very pleased that um, he is, uh, he is so far ahead of, um, 
you know, where I mean, it, <clears throat> too many times I think you see um, indie developers that don't quite have a handle on how to follow up success. Um, and I think I think Johan has a pretty darn good plan. I mean, I, I like the, the the Angola thing is fantastic. I mean, that's just the, right there. Just I'm 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 over the moon. But um, but I I really like what he did with the game. I mean, I I, I feel like there's um, there's a way and not a way to uh, follow up a certain system. Um, I was actually and this is something that came up uh, when I was talking on Three Moves Ahead just last week. Um, that because of the sort of the um, I don't know, the investment and the return on investment that you get from uh, small teams that you kind of have to be able to leverage stuff. And uh, too often that turns into this reskinning. But uh, Johan clearly has design ideas and uh, they, he, he's clearly advancing his design, which is what you always want to see. I mean, I, I really like uh, where he's gone with this. And I love, too, that he mentioned uh, the concept of Vietnamization versus uh, pacification. It feels like Vietnam 65 was very much a, a game, as, as we said in our review, about the pacification process in Vietnam, right. and that, that doctrine. And it hadn't even occurred to me until he said it, this is that, but it's about Vietnamization. I mean, that's mm-hmm. clearly the overarching agenda here. Yep. Uh, and and it all, it, the mechanics, a lot of the moment-to-moment stuff is similar, but as far as a gameplay structure and narrative, it feels completely different because he's done it this way. I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah your objective is completely different, right? I mean, yeah. in the... In the uh, in the in Vietnam 65, you you were using your Arvin as kind of a tool, right? You were they were they were better intelligence gathering and that kind of thing, um, but you would never say, oh, I'm just going to make these Arvin and then just I'm going to just clock everybody out. Um, but that's exactly what you're doing in this game, and I think that that's a very like you put it, uh, you know, the, the the third act comes. I mean, it's these 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 chapters, these the, the way that the narrative unfolds. Um, you you want bends in the narrative, and you want. Um, you want the, the sort of the landscape to change and you want uh, uh, you want the gameplay to sort of evolve as you're going. You have goals and then you see I mean, you, you get to test your 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 plan, not just against uh, victory points, but against, you know, I did this stuff. Now, how well can these guys, you know, sort of hold down the fort? I think it's I think it's a, a, a really well done design. And I'm just terrified that he's going to we're going to get like orbital platforms that will, you know, anti-gravity <laughs> things onto the mountain and, you know, you can, the space shuttle will come by and, you know, I just, I, I, please, I, it's, it's it, it, to, developers should only listen to gamers so much. And I, and, and I, by that, I, I think you mean very little. <laughs> uh, I do like that they have, and this is something that is pretty much proportional to my goodwill towards a game is how enthusiastic I am about DLC. Uh, <laughs> I love the idea that he's just going to tweak the formula a little bit to add the UK and the United sure. States Marine Corps. Like I, yeah. uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of charmed by yeah. that decision for how to how to do DLC. Just kind of give slightly different units to the player and see what that does to this because the structure's still intact, right? You're right. still playing this idea of the handover and the nation building. Uh, now let me give you some slightly different tools. Right. Uh, and that's kind of, in a way, what the elections does is mm-hmm. any given game, they're going to be slightly different global modifiers right. uh, that you can. Now, how do you feel, Garrick, mm-hmm. about his uh, about Johan wanting to keep that stuff under the hood in the election? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm OK with it in the same way that I'm OK with random events, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, because it seems to me like if you're going to have a strategy game, 
there has to be some if, if we're going to have a mechanic like if i'm making a decision um as to whether i'm spending points on something or not mm-hmm. it, it it bothers me that I'm making that decision and I'll, you know, it's sort of like, well, I could do this or it could be voodoo or it could be a miracle cure. Right. And I have no way of knowing that. Um, but I'm really, I think like you said, I have so much goodwill towards this game because I feel that this is really, you know, somebody who's iterating their design in a, in a very, you know, thoughtful and, 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 and an important way that, you know, fine. I mean, I, I, I would I think if you if you did maybe you're saving me for myself although I also, I don't no, don't like that when developers tell me that but I mean if you told me all the things that were happening I would start you know I would keep score just like like he said right right and say okay well this happened and this happened and and yada yada um, it's just Go ahead. Well, in theory, I'm with you. I'm fine. But I, I really do want exit polls. I want some right. after-the-fact information about why a certain person won because when I check that box and you, you know, you're generally going to vote for the, the, the guy who's non-Taliban, it's pretty clear usually. I just want to know how close it was. I want to know right. Right. did those you – know, did that buffalo, as you mentioned, did that lose me the election? Right. I, I just want that information, uh, and – I'm okay with things happening under the hood, but afterwards, right. just let me know how close it was. Well, that, that, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's something Johan can can Johan, if you're listening, uh, you put that in as a uh, sort of like intelligence, uh, you know, that that you're based on based on the level of intelligence that you have uh, overall. Uh, you know, you can tell, you know, what what the, what you're finding out about why so and so won or why so and so lost. Maybe right. that'd be, be something you could get because because you know, there's going to be um, you know, there's more than one election, right? So, right, right, yeah. so maybe stuff that happened in the first one, you don't really know what's going on, but then you kind of get a little information and maybe that'll inform your, your second election. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm always about things that happen in the game, giving the player feedback so that he can iterate on it and, and improve. I mean, that's the right. whole point of the game, right? It's otherwise you're one of those, uh, you know, those menu games that, that uh, you and I, with one that we saw recently is just like, oh, I click on this. Oh, and this happens. Well, then I click on this. And I mean, it's, it's kind of a choose your own adventure, but it's not even that, right? So I just, yeah. that. I have no interest in that kind of game. Because the, the systems in this interlock so well, and I just want yeah. a little bit more interaction with the election system right. than checking the guy who has the obvious most American flags uh, on, on his little card. Right. Uh, uh, I, I do want to say, because this is – I think Johan has solved a problem that plagues way too many strategy games. Mm, what's that? Uh, and this is something that my friend and I, Tony Carnavale, have talked about a lot, right. and that is you – the problem with AI is when you get the AI to play like a human player. When you make a game like Civilization, where I am playing France and the AI is playing you know, Germany, the AI has the same tools. It's doing the same things that I am. And unless you can make the AI understand and use all those tools, you've kind of screwed up your design. Right. And that's been a big problem with the recent Civilizations. So what instead you should do this doesn't always work, but Johan's games are a perfect example of it, is make the AI play a completely different game. Right. And I love how transparent, in a way, it is that the militia will only do one of three things. You know, they're, they're kind of mindless. Mm-hmm. They're only going to pop up and either, what is it, plant an, uh, a poppy field, mm-hmm. create an IED, or intimidate a village. You know, mm-hmm. anytime I see a militia, that's all it's ever going to do. It's a very right. simple little playing piece right and the ai doesn't have to play the game the way that i play it right. they're you know, never going to go rogue and, and and attack uh you know attack a base or something 
Or yeah, or it's never going to sit there and move a unit back back and forth because it's right. it's uh, some sort of a, a feedback loop has broken and it doesn't <laughs> right. know what to do. Right. Uh, so and I I just love rediscovering that in Afghanistan 11. Is yeah, here is the way. I mean, it's by very its very nature, it's called asymmetrical warfare. So of course, but here is a way to deal with the problem of a single player game. Well, can I can I can I posit a theory and and Johan, if he's listening, he can uh, write in and tell me I'm wrong. But uh, this is my, I'm going to posit a theory about why Johan has learned this uh, because he's a board gamer. And and what are the best solo board games? The ones where you're playing against the system, right? You don't they don't you don't make a two player game and then make a bot for for one of the sides. I mean, you do, but I, I, that's a different. We'll have a whole different discussion about that. <laughs> right. But um, but you basically make a game in which the the two sides are completely different. The the side that the human is playing requires the kind of thinking and input a human would do, and the other side, because it's not a human, and it's automated, does the things that an automaton can handle, and you basically tweak the 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 sort of systemic bias towards the automaton, right? Mm-hmm. And then just let that automaton play and then have ways of, of tweaking that bias if you're having a harder time or, or, a, or an easier time. But don't force – don't sit there and try to write you know, an intelligent machine that's going to play a player because that's pointless. That's a two-player game. And you know, that's – I think that there were people that were saying, you know, would I, would I um, uh, recall – I think they were saying about Vietnam 65. Well, could we play a two-player you know, could, right, you, right. could you play the other side? Like, no, that's the, the whole point here. Exactly. You're, you're missing everything. If you're going to play two player, you're forcing a game into into a mode that it is explicitly and specifically designed not to fulfill, which is right. that you're not forcing the other side, the AI, to have to do things players do. And I and Tony, I mean, Tony said this in an email recently about that that I thought was very um, uh, said it perfectly. Don't don't make games things don't make don't make games do things that humans do better and don't make humans do things that that uh, AI does better. Now, I, I, the only thing I was expecting was that he would uh, say that roguelikes have solved that better than anything else. <laughs> well, you know what I think the pattern is for this for me, uh, and sorry to drag this genre into it, but I do feel strongly that this is something that kind of introduced this thinking. Uh, zombie games are mm. all about oh, here are mindless opponents. Right. You don't have to script them to think or to do anything special. Mm-hmm. And the game is just about holding back that system. It's a system that's built up against you. The odds are right. against you. You know, death will always prevail. A zombie yeah. will bite someone, it'll become another zombie. Hold back this mindless system. You know, learn the rules of the system and then hold it back. Uh, and that's why I think. Uh, games like um, Dawn of the Zeds, for instance, are really, and, and that's made by Herman Lutman, who's a war game designer. Yeah. I think he really understands here's an opportunity. You know, zombies are an opportunity to really create a solid design. Uh, it, even though it's zombies and this goofy horror motif, uh, right. there's a solid, solitaire design here. And, you know, the Taliban and the militia aren't zombies, of course, but it's the same kind of thing here. They are scripted, they're automatons, they're always going to do the same thing. The system favors them. Now, how well can you hold out against it? Right, uh, given the, given the certain tools that you have, which don't include tunnels. <laughs> I'm so I, I was a little bit dismayed to hear him talking about maybe adapting yeah. to make the mountains a little easier to manage, but I think he's got the right idea there. Yeah. Here's something that I am not sure I am still uh, I, I still am not buying this idea. Well, not not buying. Uh, 
this idea of, of fighting militia for the most part and then the Taliban come in, even though he sort of conceded that's eh, a naming convention. Right. Uh, I, that doesn't really work for me. Is I, and he even made – I don't – when I did a stream and he was watching, he pointed this out. There is the American flag. There is the Afghani flag. Uh, and there's the poppy seed flag. Exactly. He made up a fake poppy seed flag to be yeah. the militia. Uh, right. And I, I wished he would call the militia like conscript Taliban or elite Taliban. Right? I yeah. kind of wish right. he'd done something like that because when I think of the term militia in relation to Afghanistan, I think of the folks that we worked with with the Northern Alliance. That's the militia. Well, yeah, well, the Northern Alliance was – but that's but that's an old – right? the Northern Alliance was was, was – was, Became not the Northern Alliance, you know, a few years later, right? I mean, that the 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 there's there are militias throughout Afghanistan, right? Who I mean, and and in the in the uh, what you would call it the um, uh, the Sunni um, uh, whatever the the Sunni insurgency, the Sunni ascendants, the whatever you, you, the the 2005 uh, period on um, those militias could be hostile or friendly or neutral and just kind of doing their own thing. And that's what I think that um, a distant plane captures so well. I mean, the, the, the militias are a whole separate side, basically, the warlords, right? They're either – well, a lot of the time, they're just shipping drugs to make money, but they're not uh, they're not above, you know, allying with the Taliban, right, uh, sure. you know, and they're not above allying with the government or the – or, frankly, the uh, the coalition, and I think when you do that, you when you name them that, there's this whole assumption that you're then going to somehow be able to co-opt them, or you know maybe I can just send this UN uh, you know aid truck you know to the to the militia village to the to the you know to, or to their base where their secret base is, uh, because that would be sort of the logical uh, gameplay uh, outcome if you were um, if you were really playing this as an as an Afghanistan game. Um, so that's that's I mean I, I understand that's fine. It it it's it's um you can't you can't change too much stuff. I'm I'm what I'm glad he didn't do is he didn't iterate it in a different way and then fail, right? Because then let's say he he uh, he tries to do this thing and the that mechanic doesn't work and then the game falls apart. I think the game is in a very good place. Um, he gets that he, he gets he gets his naming convention. I mean, every, everything's an abstraction. So fine, abstract away. Um, I, oh, yeah. I play I play games with little squares and numbers on them, and they, they they're supposed to be a Panzer division. So I'll, I'm okay with this naming convention. <laughs> it is strictly semantic, but I just feel like a game where I'm mostly fighting something called quote unquote militia, and every now and then the Taliban show up. No, I just want to fight the Taliban. Well, it's I, like a I, guest star appearance, right? That they just when they, when when they're there, you know that it's you know for real. This is when the show started. Yeah, yeah, but I, I spend most of the game fighting the militia. They're the well, ones that are always you know. creeping around. Uh, yeah. But it, you are right. It definitely the, – there is this model that they plant the poppy seed, the poppy fields. Mm. It becomes an opium shipment, and then the opium shipment brings in a Taliban. Like they're basically right. facilitating the Taliban, and I guess that represents the militia that align yeah. with the Taliban. But uh, it's strictly a naming convention. Uh, and you know what, Garrick? I'm just going to – Find someone to make a mod for me to change the word militia to conscript Taliban, and then okay. I'll be fine. That's I'll, all I I'm, need. I'm, I'm fine. I'll allow you to do that if you just also allow them to either make a tunnel or some kind of uh, anti-gravity like chopper that can uh, just transport troops up onto the mountains with for no 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 uh, with no problem. There really should be just suborbital flights where you could yeah. insert. Yeah, well, we have anywhere. that, right? I mean, why don't we just why don't we do that? I mean, Drop pods. 
Exactly. Pods. Yes. Yeah. Like in like in Starship Troopers. Yeah. Yeah. Or Space Marines and Warhammer. Yeah. Come on. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Him. Yeah. For for the yeah. Emperor. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. All right. Well, Garrick. Uh, let's see how how. How are you doing as far as like the learning curve and the chick parabola? Chick parabola doesn't apply here, by the way. The chick parabola is where you're learning the game. It's super exciting. You master the system enough, that's the height of the parabola, to realize that the AI sucks and then you lose interest. That's not an issue here because of the design. But how are you doing in terms of wrapping your head around Afghanistan 11? And is anything uh, particularly difficult for you at this point? Yeah, I'm I'm actually – to to be honest, I'm a little – um, hesitant to use, or maybe I'm just not using. I'm not able to really get the most out of my guys. I think I'm. They are so mobile in this game compared to the other game mm-hmm. that I don't plan for them to be able to do as much as they can. So I think I'm like I'm operating so far like on about seventy five percent. I'm, I'm I not, do I'm, find myself every now and then with a guy just sitting in base and nothing to do. Right. Just right. And that's my own fault because I either didn't give him a transport or because I didn't think, oh, he should have been over here to do that. Right. Uh, or I sent people out to, to a couple villages. I'm like, oh, yeah, I grabbed those two. And I'm like, well, actually, I could have gone to those other two if I had just plotted a little more carefully. And uh, I'm using I'm using twice as many troops because I bring all these people in and then I realize, oh, actually, I don't actually need all these guys. Um, I just need to use my other guys more effectively. So I, I think there's a there's definitely a um, a Vietnam hangover. I feel like I'm you know it's like <laughs> 1974, 75, and I'm just kind of you know I've pulled out, but I've I, I pulled out of Vietnam, but uh, the lessons I haven't I haven't learned the lessons quite well enough. So it, it definitely I, encourages a small footprint, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, yeah. you can do it. You can do a, you can do a lot with a little. Um, but then oh don't don't get uh, don't get surprised by an IED because then uh, that's a real big problem. Right. Just yeah. Run those. Had you heard of a husky or a buffalo before this game? I don't think so. I mean, no, I, 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 I'm it's not a those are not terms that I, I that all that um, I mean, I heard, of course, about the MRAP. Um, right. Right. But, the MRAP. Yep. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But uh, uh, but no. you when you zoom in on the husky and the buffalo, uh, pretend that they're uh, vehicles from Mad Max Fury Road. You can do that. It's fine. I, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll definitely what I want is those uh, those guys that are in the giant like sort of catapult things where they're bouncing up back and oh, forth. Oh, those Cirque du Soleil guys. Yeah, right? yeah. I wonder what that I, that I bet you if we pulled the, put those in Afghanistan, they'd be freaked. Talbot be freaking out. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know how they would hold up under an IED though. That might be a little difficult. Uh... All right. Well, uh, Garrick, so uh, Afghanistan 11, we are both super on board with this. Uh, It's now available on Steam. It has the thumbs up from both Garrick and I. Uh, Thanks again to to Johan and congratulations to him for how the game turned out. Yeah. Congratulations, Johan. That's a really nice uh, second second, uh, release. I'm I'm very impressed that you guys were able to uh, sort of conceptualize and and put it all together and and iterate it. so well in in the two years so this, this is a this is an example of where the idiom sophomore effort doesn't really hold up that's right yes it's anything but sophomoric wait yeah exactly whatever whatever i just said or you said I don't know. Oh my gosh.
Uh, I mean, I would play it, but that looks like some goofy pirate thing. You never know. It's it's, it's Royal Navy. Don't you can't can't scoff at the Royal Navy. <laughs>